All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Hoppuses. Woo! So good to see you guys. Uh, you know, as, uh, as time goes on, uh, some of you are able to get here. Uh, some of you are continuing to watch online, and, and that's great. We, we don't ever want to diminish that. In fact, we're uh, every week trying our hardest to improve our online platform. So whether you are in Oregon, Washington, California, Virginia, uh, here in Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, uh, and if I forgot one of your states, please text me so I can remember to say that. But we have people tuning in kind of all over the place, and that's good. That's, that's what God is, is truly doing in and through this church, uh, and so we're super glad. Those of you in the cheap seats in the lobby, yes, awesome, <laughs> Um, so super glad. Uh, it's hard to see all of your faces with the lights, but I'm really, really trying, but so good to see you all back there. We've been in this series called New Creation People, kind of an odd name, but it's something that we're continuing uh, to unpack, and that is when we choose to follow Jesus something radically changes in us, and we kind of become new people. Uh, how many of you are sci-fi fans? You, like, you love sci-fi movies? I can't do sci-fi. I'm a realist, and so when I start watching a sci-fi film, I go, man, I wonder how many takes it took to film this, and, and they had to practice it and research it, and, all. and I, then I get lost. I don't even know what's going on in the movie because I'm critiquing. So I'm not a big sci-fi guy, but one of the big sci-fi things that happens in movies is that people morph into different things. Things, right? They become a different person and you peel off their face and all of a sudden there's a robot and, and all these things happen in sci-fi movies. Well, when we accept Christ, something radically uh, life-transforming happens in us. We become new people. We actually become new people with other new people. We, we just prayed for Stan and Deb. They are a part of the church. And, and just do me this favor, without pointing fingers... Just look around the room, and, and for those of you in the lobby, just look around real quick. Uh, what I want you to do as you're looking around, keep doing it. I know it's super uncomfortable, but this is the one chance where you're like, I really want to stare at that guy, but I can't. It's, it's awkward. Now you can. Look around, stare. This is kind of our meet and greet, if you would. Look how different everybody is. Now, look at the attractive ones. Look. No, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't do that. Uh, if you look around the room, we're different. If you haven't figured that out by now, we are very, very different from one another. We have a lot of similarities, but we're very, very different. And this morning, Paul is going to bring that together. He gets a little ADD, which I can appreciate this morning. And so we're going to jump into this morning's passage. Throughout this series, we've been using the book of Ephesians as kind of our springboard, our platform, if you would, our foundation uh, to study. And so if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, there's some Bibles out uh, front. You can also turn on your, your phones, your tablets uh, as well. Ephesians chapter 3. So uh, as we jump into this, I, I just mentioned that Paul jumps around a little bit in this morning's passage. And here's how I want to start this morning. I like riddles. Any of you like riddles? I'm not good at them at all. 
but I really like riddles, and I came across this one this week. It'll be on the screen, both if you're at home and here in person. It says this, I am the destroyer of mountains, the killer of kings. I always fly by, yet I don't have wings. I can end basketball games or marriages with similar ease, and though I flow like a stream, only water can freeze. I've murdered parents and children's and houseplants galore, yet despite all of this, you always want more. Who am I? It's, it's kind of like a Dr. Seuss book. But nevertheless, take a look at this. Don't shout it out if you've already figured out. How many of you are really good at riddles? You like them and you're good at them. There's three of you here. Perfect. Awesome. Uh, so take a look at this. Take a look at this riddle. Does anybody know the... And if you already knew the answer, like you've heard this before, then you're out. If this is brand new and you know the answer, tell me. Raise your hand. Yes. Time. Time. Now let's read this again with knowing the answer is time. Brilliant. You get... You get a, 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 an incredible dinner tonight. Take her out, all right? And here's the great thing. It's not on me. It's on him. I am the destroyer of mountains, the killer of kings. I always fly by, yet I don't have wings. I can end basketball games or marriages with similar ease. And though I flow like a stream, only water can freeze. I've murdered parents and children and houseplants galore. Some of you can relate. Yet, despite all this, you always want more. Who am I? Time. I, my, my sermon was way too many pages because I actually put like four different rhymes and, and riddles on here. And I kind of got carried away, and then I had to erase it all because we don't have time for that. But I like riddles. I'm not good at it. I didn't get it. Uh, and I read it time and time again, and I finally was able to receive the answer. You ever wonder why we like riddles? Why do we like riddles? For those of us who do like it, some of you get thoroughly annoyed at riddles. How many of you are, are like that? You just don't like them, right? Okay, Hunter. Uh, so I think one of the reasons why we genuinely enjoy riddles is because they cause us to pause and to think. Something we don't do very often. We like things that are most immediate, but riddles cause us to go, huh, and to think a little bit. And if we figure out the answer, we feel super intelligent and smart. And if we can't figure it out, we feel silly. And we go, it, it, when she yelled, time, there was a collective, oh. Now, awe oh, can be either, oh, I knew that, and you didn't. Or awe oh, could be, oh, I didn't even see that. And the Bible is the same way. Here's the great thing about the Bible. Even if we've been reading it for 50, 60, 70 years, or day one, there is something that pops out and we go, oh. And this morning is no different, and, and I'm hoping you have that aha moment. The Apostle Paul tells us about a riddle in our text today. Yes, there's a riddle in Ephesians chapter 3. It's one of the oldest riddles of all time, but it's finally been solved. And it was solved a long time ago. And I, and I beg the question on your behalf, why should I care about this riddle? 
Why should I pay attention? Why, why should I put my thought and energy into this riddle? And it's because the riddle can change your life. A lot of riddles are silly and they're fun and we can repeat them at Thanksgiving dinner. You can use this one. This riddle that's found in the scriptures can literally change your life. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is about to say a prayer for the believers, but he interrupts himself. Here's where his ADD comes in. He's about to pray for all the believers and then he sees a squirrel and he runs with it. And he interrupts himself as he's about to pray and he begins to marvel at a mystery, a riddle, if you would. In verse 1, Paul says this, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, squirrel. Notice there's a dash. There should be a dash in your version. There's a dash there. That's the ADD squirrel dash. Okay? For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles, dash. That tells us that Paul takes a detour in his train of thought to say something else. How many of you are absolutely guilty of doing this on a regular basis? You're talking to someone? All right, let me get different hands. How many of you know someone like this? Point to them. They're talking, they're about to make a point, and they go, oh, uh, weather. Weather is super severe, and you were in the process of talking about dinner, and now they're talking about hail and how hail is formed. Chris Hassel, is Chris Hassel back there? Guilty! One of the worst! Take up a bow. Very good. And he doesn't return to his thought until verse 14. That's a huge detour. But he does return. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, I kneel before the Father. And it's a great way to get back on track. You find yourself going and everyone's kind of tuning out and you go, okay, I got to get back on track. What was I saying? I kneel before the Father. Great way to recenter yourself. But before he prays, which we'll look at next week, he speaks of a mystery revealed, which is the first part of our riddle, and that is this. What is unknown, but now known. What is unknown, but now known. Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 2. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I have already written briefly, in reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. What is unknown but now known? It's the first part of our riddle. Paul is writing to the believers in Ephesus. And he begins in verse 2 by explaining his job description. And his job description is he is an administrator. Do any of you enjoy administration? Like you're super good at it and you enjoy it? Yeah. Notice how no hands are up. 
Paul is an administrator, but get this, he's an administrator of grace. That's his job. He wasn't hired uh, by grant. He wasn't hired by will. He was hired by God. That's a great boss. Think about the pressures. He is an administrator for grace. The Greek word for administration is oikonomia. Now, here's what's interesting about this word. It means to manage a household. Uh, Not just manage, not just do administration, to literally manage a household. Now, most of us don't have enough money to pay someone to manage our house and our our daily activities. You guys remember Brady Bunch? I, I would give anything to have an Alice. She, I, I would treat her so well, she would be the most paid. Just to have an Alice to cook and to play basketball with my kids and, and, and get in trouble with them and everything that Alice does on the Brady Bunch. Most of us don't have enough money for an Alice to help us manage our household. And yet this is the job that has been given to Paul. Paul is the one God called to manage the household of grace. He's the deliverer to share grace with those lost in sin. And I'm glad he did because you and I wouldn't be here. Paul actually tells us that God has withheld this mystery from past generations. This is, on the list, number 168 of why it's great to live in today's times. We don't have a mystery. We know the mystery. But we're told in past generations that it was kept from them. Believers who came before Paul and the people of the Old Testament did not fully understand what was going on. God hinted at this mystery throughout the entire Old Testament. And when God promised to bless Abraham, the father of the Israelite people, he hinted at it. He knew this was coming. We see this in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. You can read along with me. It says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. Again, remember, we're going to grab a few chunks. We're going to tie it together to the mystery, to the riddle, if you would. When the prophet Isaiah said, Egypt, Assyria, and Israel will become one, God was hinting at it. Isaiah chapter 19, starting at verse 23, says this, In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and the Assyrians will worship what? Together. This is going to be important. In that day, Israel will be the third along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. Let's go a step further, and maybe it'll start to make sense. And when the prophet Zechariah 
prophesied to Jerusalem after the exile, God was still hinting. Maybe you've had this where you get a riddle and so and says, I don't know, give me a hint. God is hinting at this beautiful riddle. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 11. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent you. And then Romans 11 tells us that it's through Christ Jesus. And the New Testament apostles and prophets that we receive the answer, the mystery. What is unknown, now known, is another way of saying this. What was a mystery, God has now revealed. What once kept you in the dark is now made known. God has told us the answer to this mystery. And the answer shows us both his power and his grace. The answer to our lives and to our world is right in front of us. We just need to accept it and then start living in its truth. Let's make this personal. How many of you have seen others or you've turned on the news and you see people searching for the answer. Maybe a policy, maybe a candidate, maybe a vaccine, um, maybe a, a stimulus package, and it's right in front of them. One time uh, when uh, we were living in L.A., we were there for over 20 years, and my parents came to visit. They live in Colorado Springs, and they flew out uh, to L.A., um, which is super dangerous uh, to do if you go anywhere near LAX. It's a zoo. Um, But nevertheless, they flew in, and traffic, this is super shocking, was horrible in California. And so I decided, and this was pre-like, Siri telling you which streets to go on and and all this. Uh, And so it was left to me, which is not great. I'd rather trust Siri. And so traffic was horrible. So we just began to take random streets trying to avoid traffic. You ever realize what happens when you do that? It's longer, usually. If, if, as long as you rely on you. Um, But if you rely on Siri, sometimes it's shorter. And this time, uh, I had a vague idea of where I was going, and they had an even less vague idea of where we were going, and they were completely lost. Uh, The only thing that they could kind of hold on to is every now and then when they would see the mountain, they always had the ocean to their left, um, but as we were traveling, uh, if we got anywhere away from the ocean, they had no idea where they were. And we traveled and we took various side streets and eventually we took one of our last streets closer to home and my dad said, oh, I know where we are now. Now I know. And then we were able to pull in and and they learned a new way home. And that's what Paul is doing here. 
It's what Paul is literally doing in our midst in chapter 3. He's driving the Ephesians and all believers home, but he's taking a different route to get there. And eventually we have the aha moment. I know where I'm at. Let's continue with our mystery. What is two, now one. What was unknown, now known. Now we're going to focus in verse 6. What is two, now one. This is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The Jews and the Gentiles becoming one, a new people. Paul told us about this mystery, at least hinted at it, in chapter 1, verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, normally only reserved for the Jews. But there's a mystery. Somehow that's available to me now. Paul is saying, you Gentiles, you non-Jews, you get to share in the riches of God's holy people, the people of Israel. You get everything that was afforded them. It's now yours and more. Paul spoke again of this in chapter 2, verse 13. He says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Isn't that the hope of the church? That if someone is far from God, that the gospel message brings them close to God. Maybe you're here in this room and you can vividly remember a moment in your life or, or, an, or an increasing time in your life where you were far from God. And by His grace and His mercy, He brought you closer to Himself. The non-Jews who were once far away because of what? Holiness laws. Holiness laws. The laws hoped to to make everything holy were the exact laws that kept the Gentiles far, far away. And now they can be brought near through the holiness of Christ. And Paul speaks of the answer to our riddle in Romans 11 and Galatians 3. We're going to look at both. First of all, Romans 11, uh, verse 25. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all of Israel will be saved. Notice, all of Israel will be saved by allowing more people in. All of Israel will be saved by casting the net of grace even farther to those who, let's whisper, don't deserve it. And Israel will be saved. Galatians 3 gives us even more understanding. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The riddle is starting to become more clear. So what is unknown, now known, what is two, now one? The church. The church. 
God promised the church in the Old Testament, and he revealed it in the New Testament. And the church is made up of Jews and Gentiles who believe in Christ Jesus. Why is that important? The reason why that's important, because instead of Jewish people being saved one way by keeping the law and the commandments, which they could not do, they are saved through faith in Christ Jesus. Instead of us Gentiles being saved by trying to do good works every day and, and living perfect moral lives, which we cannot do, we are saved through Christ Jesus. It, it levels the playing field. All in need of grace. All in need of our Savior. And together, we become one new people. That is the church. Someone might ask, what makes church so special? You're hearing it. This is what makes church special. Not because we have our act together, not because we're perfect, not because we do everything right, not because we hold incredible potlucks, not because we baptize people in a horse trough, although that is super cool. What makes the church special is no one is better than another. There is no hierarchy. I'm no better than you. I have a role, I have a task, I have a job that God has given me in the church, but so do you. I'm no better than you. It, what makes the church unbelievably special is we're all in it together. We're, we're all trying to figure out and navigate life as it continually hands us situations. You see, there's lots of blessings when we pray the prayer. When we confess our sins and put our faith in Christ Jesus, there's a lot of blessings. We receive eternal life. We get to share in a new heaven and a new earth. Talk about sci-fi. That's going to be cool. We receive a new body and a new name. That's all that's coming. We will dwell with Jesus forever. And there will be, and we say this all the time, there will be no more heartache, there will be no more pain, there will be no more tears, there will be no more evil, there will be no more elections or yard signs. Amen? <laughs> there, are, there are so many great things we have to look forward to. But one of these blessings is more tangible and much more immediate. And it's the blessing of becoming a member of the church of Jesus Christ, not denomination. Think theologically. The blessing is we get to participate, we get to belong to the church. Not Rock, not 225 Majestic View Drive. But the church. And when I say church, I mean big C first. 
as the universal, the invisible church, which includes all believers from all times and places. You're part of the church with the Apostle Paul. You're part of the church with Doubting Thomas. You're you're part of the church with Mary. You're part of the church with the kids who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ when they heard him teach on the hillside. You're part of the church of Boulder Valley just down the street. You're part of the church with Ascent. You're part of the church with the Anglican church in the UK. You're part of the church. And we look different. We sound different. We dress different. Most of you firmly believe you dress right. Some of you are right. Some of you need training. Author Richard Koken writes this in his book, Ephesians for You. He says this, church is meant to be a team game. A church is never about one person or one kind of people. I love that. Church is meant to be a team game. I I sat here during worship this morning. I didn't get up. Sat here with Max, my nine-year-old, laying on me and just listened to him sing. And much like Alex, I've had a, a, a tough week. And I, the thought went through my mind. Let's see, how do I articulate this? The thought went through my mind. Sometimes as pastors and elders and ministry leaders, we have to carry you. Bless you. Sometimes we have to carry you in faith and strength and passion, and hope. And we gladly do that. We carry each other, and sometimes we have to be the one to be carried. Today's a day where Alex and I are being carried by you. Your faith, your energy, your passion, your excitement. So when I sit here and I lay with Max and I hear him sing and I hear you as the church worshiping our Lord and Savior, you carry me to a place where you're going where I'm so tired to get. It's a team game. Because if a body is a picture of a church, then it makes sense that the church should be full of all different kinds of people. Are you with me? People that are really good at singing. If, if you sit anywhere in this side of the room near Paul, Paul will carry you with his singing. Yeah, he'll just carry the whole room. When we do our second set, just listen. (laughs) Some of us have different skills in administration or ministry or working with kids or missions or hospitality or, or up here with Alex and the worship team. The list goes on and on and on. So we should be filled with all kinds of different people. Some of you are very young in this room. Others...
Eastern people, Asian people, white people, black people, tall, small, young, old, mature, immature. I take care of that with my kids. Rich, poor, close to God, far from God, great marriages, train wreck of a marriage. We're better when we're different. And, and we read that in, in Isaiah when, when he's bringing together the Assyrians and the Egyptians and the Israelis. That's an interesting party. But the two will become one in worship and truth. Let's look at the last part of this riddle. Paul tells us what God is doing through the church. <clears throat> So we've read that. What was unknown, now known. What was two is now one. And what is weak and yet strong. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through where? Through who? Let's try this again. Through the church. So let me ask you again. Through who? The church. Us. You. Right here. You watching online in your jammies, Russo's. That through us, the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. You realize one of our job descriptions is to make known the unbelievable, glorious truth about grace to the rulers of the principalities. Not just to our neighbor next door. In, in God's eyes, that's low-hanging fruit. Our job is to make known the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Holy cow, what a job description. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through faith, in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And then Paul finishes, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are your glory. Paul's job is to make the mystery known. It was kept in dark. It was kept a secret for many, many generations all throughout the Old Testament. And God chose for such a time as this, Paul, and said, you are going to go reveal my mystery. How many of you love being the one to tell people the answer to the secret? My max is that. If you want a secret kept, do not tell Max. Max can know nothing. He is the worst poker player. He wears his emotions on his sleeve. You can tell on his face, and then he'll break. You don't have to interrogate him. He just, you just look at him, and then he'll just tell you. Paul, God could have chosen anybody. God chose Paul. To reveal the mystery. 
so that the present generation in Ephesus, all the way to today, what is today, October 11th, we would know the mystery. And that mystery is this, that God's grace is not just for the Jewish people, but for the Gentiles as well. Back in verse 1, Paul said he is a prisoner. And then here in verse 8, he calls himself the least of all the Lord's people. And then in verse 13, he says he is suffering. Paul, listen, Paul is weak. If, if, the, if that door opened and the Apostle Paul walked in, which would be amazing, Paul would be the first one to look you in the eye and say, I am so weak. Paul would be the one to look at you and say, I am broken. He'd also be the one to, to, to kind of just kneel down right with you and look you in the eyes and go, even though I'm weak, even though I'm broken, I am made strong in Christ. And you know what, friends? Sometimes we just have to acknowledge that we who make up the church were weak and we're broken and not hide it. Not, not try and smooth it over, not, not try to impress people or even just try to convince ourselves. But then to be able to say, I am strong in Christ. I'm not strong in me. I'm not strong in you. I'm strong in Christ. Let's land this. Zero in on verse 10 for me. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made, to the, made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. God is using us. The church, the most broken, sad, disunified, sinful, weak institution in the entire world. And I mean every word of that. To take down the supernaturally powerful Satan and all of his forces. We'll see that in a couple weeks in chapter 6. Sometimes we can personalize when we say, well, Jesus, he didn't come for the well, he came for the sick. He didn't, he didn't come for the strong, he came for the weak. But then when we think of the church, we go, that doesn't include the church. The church is super strong. Church is amazing. Church is powerful. No, the church is weak. We shoot at each other. We, we tear each other down. We, we ridicule one another. We, we hold grudges. We are uh, hypocrites. We, we say one thing and do another thing. And, and God goes, yeah, that's why I'm using the church. Like, I'm super interested in the weak. I'm super interested in, in the downtrodden to defeat 
Satan and all of his forces. And you know why we love the local church? Our local church? Even though we're messed up? (laughs) Because in 1997, there was a small group of believers who gathered in Louisville and got on their knees in a family room and began to pray, what if? What if we started a church? What would that look like? Could we do it? And God started something faithful with of just a few followers. And God loves us. The church. He loves us. He adores us. And he's working through us, a small, young, stumbling about ourselves, Rock Creek Church, to defeat the evil one, one day at a time. One conversation at a time, one one difficult moment at a time, one, one evangelistic conversation at a time. He is using Rock Creek Church to tear down the powers of Satan himself. So what's the big idea? According to the Apostle Paul, what is unknown, now it's known. What were two is now one. And what is weak and yet so miraculously strong, it's the church. It's us. We are the answer to the mystery. God's mystery. And according to Paul, the mystery is you and me. Now we have to wrestle with that because there's some ramifications that come with that. We're going to be tackling some of those in the coming weeks because there's a huge responsibility to be the answer to the mystery. But in case you ever wonder, I'm just me. I don't matter. I'm not significant. I don't have a place. That is from the enemy himself. Because you are incredibly special. Because you make up the church. Let's pray together and then let's do that. Let's worship. Let's, let's worship in song. Let's worship from our heart. Let's worship from our mind. Let's embrace uh, our job description, both individually and, and, and globally, collectively, that we are the church and we do make a difference in this world. So God, we love you. We praise you. Uh, I'm so glad and thankful for the book of Ephesians. It just seems so fitting every time we turn around. No matter what's going on in our world, no matter what's going on in our political times, no matter what's happening in our culture, it just is miraculous that, that your words are so fitting to us today. And we want to lay before you 
all of our struggles. We want to lay before you all of our doubts. We want to lay before you the obstacles that are in front of us. And we want to look to the heavens. We want to see you eye to eye. And we want to say, I love you. Thank you for loving us. The church. The mystery of it all. So guide us as we worship. Stir in us a a passion to sing, to respond to you in thankful heart. Because we just heard one of the greatest truths ever known to mankind. It's in his name, Jesus Christ, that we've prayed, gathered, worshiped, studied. Amen.